Welcome to the Move with Modus podcast. My name is Dr. Christopher Ellis, and joining me is personal trainer John Williams. We are the owners of Modus Personal Training and Physiotherapy. Together, we will discuss any topic you can think of when it comes to training and rehab. From the carnivore diet to hip impingement, you can be sure that all your questions will be answered. Enjoy this week's episode. All right. Good thing we're not doing video because I'm going to start sweating bullets. Yeah, I'm sweating my ass off already. Feels good though. I don't mind sweating a little bit. Yeah, so I don't know if we're going to keep this in the podcast or not, but if we are, all you listeners, we're in my pub shed. Uh, I'm lucky that it's still standing because <laughs> I clearly like overdid the uh, amperage. I don't know what the term is. And uh, we had you know a burnt out extension cord, fried our mixer. So we might sound a little different today. Yeah, just to make it clear, he had like 17 different pretty high input objects going into... A extension cord that looks like it was from 1972 and the thing is burnt like it's charred and hopefully his wife doesn't listen to this because we were we were close we were close she doesn't listen to the podcast good yeah she's sick of hearing me talk anyway so, <laughs> so yeah we're also not doing a video because we're both sweating our asses off because we can't turn on the AC in the shed and it's like probably 97 in here yeah but it feels good yeah. it's like a sauna yeah it's a sweat box this is like a, it's a very inexpensive sauna. Well, you put some money into it, but... There we go. Just a little bit of hormesis. Do you know? <laughs> I don't know what that is. What's hormesis? Hormesis is like... This is why like people are doing ice baths and everything. It's exposure training, right? You ever like, you know, live in Florida, then you go up to, you know, Cape Cod for the winter, for mm-hmm. Christmas, and suddenly you get sick? It's because your body's not used to those swings, and your um, immune system sort of sucks, basically. It's not trained to handle those swings. Mm-hmm. So that's for Mises training. So This sounds like do, an ad for Florida. Yeah, basically. It's, Come on down. No, actually, don't. Don't. <laughs> yeah, <just laughs> There's a lot away. of people moving here. It's yeah. like a little bit much right now. Um, no, it's... Um, so the idea is like jump in a sauna, jump in the ice bath, go back and forth, and build up your tolerance to those swings. So when you see a lot of people... You see a lot of therapists jumping in ice baths these days. It's not for inflammation. It's for the hormetic effect. Mm-hmm. That's the idea behind it. We should do a podcast in a sauna. We could. All right, <laughs> <laughs> lucky that the shed is still standing. I don't know about electricity in a Oh, okay, sauna. I was thinking uh, jacuzzi. Oh, okay, gotcha. But still, well, we're basically in a sauna now, so yeah. let's just go for it. Fair enough. All right, so uh, what are we talking about this week? So we did bunions. I yep. think we should talk just yeah. ankle mobility and ankle joint mobility just in general. It's come out that John has a bit of a fetish for bunions. So. I do. I do. <laughs> all right. Yeah, ankle. I love ankle. We can talk ankle all day. What, what do you have? What's burning in your mind? What kind of questions do you have about the ankle? Well, I'll be honest, man. Like I think about it a lot because I don't do enough ankle mobility. Mm-hmm. I, think I, I mentioned in the last podcast how much ankle mobility I do. I don't do as much as I probably mentioned that I did in that last podcast. I'm a bit of a liar. And I just realized I watched some people move. And I realized they move really well because they have really good mobility. And it's not like global mobility. It's ankle mobility. You look at how far their knees can travel. And it's like, oh, that's how you get so much range of motion in all these different positions because you have so much. So from the ground up, ankle mobility becomes one of the most important things you can have. Yeah, like I said last time, was, you know, the, the foot is how we interact with the earth. And yep. if, you know, it starts there. It's you know I guess it's very debatable, but I, I kind of think like that's your first order of business. Clean. It's the lowest hanging fruit. When I see any patient, I'm looking at the way they move, like a full systems approach. Uh, that is, I've seen one person in the past year with like normal 
and when I say normal, like average range of motion, not optimal. Because, you know, you look at the books, the physical therapy books, like 10 degrees considered normal. Uh, but I think like 15 to 20 is what you really want of dorsiflexion I'm talking about. Yeah, and you look at one of the most demanding movements for range of motion being the squat. You can see people with full range of hamstring range of motion, full external, full internal. And then you look at, and then all of a sudden you watch them squat and they're like falling on their heels. Mm-hmm. And you test their ankle mobility. And you're like, oh, they, they have none. Yeah. I have a client like that. She has full range of motion, every single joint. Like, I don't even do stretching with her, other than her calves. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's like an epidemic. I mean, we already talked about zero-drop shoes. Everyone's walking around with basically, you know, mini heels on. Uh, those are the non-zero-drop shoes. Um, I, I don't think people are aware of it. Uh, no one really gets into deep squats. We kind of sit at 90-degree angles, so no one's even exposing those end ranges. And that's why I think people think it's bad to squat over your toes. It's just because we don't do it that much. Well, I mean, I take the time to now because I know about it, but I think the average person doesn't. And they would be told, oh, don't do that because it hurts. Well, it hurts because you don't do it. <laughs> that's how I see it, right? Yeah. I don't know. What are your thoughts on like deep squats? Are they bad for your knees? Is it bad to go over your toes? No, of course not. Yeah. Now, it is, I don't even think it's bad for the people who can hardly get there to go knees over your toes. It's all about, I think it's more about the tracking of the knee. Mm-hmm. Like, in, in which direction? Is it going into valgus collapse? Is it going into too much varus? Which of those two? You know, too much external, too much internal rotation, adduction versus abduction. That's the thing that seems to be the most important thing. How yeah. far it travels forward and back is kind of negligible. Yeah, I, mean, I just think it depends on, you know, how you make your tissues adapt, right? If you just have, like, stiffness throughout and you, and you go into some genuvalgus or knee collapsing... You're getting so when you go into joint valgus, your femur internally rotates and your tibia externally rotates, right? So you're getting this sort of rotational motion at the joint, and that's usually what grinds up a meniscus pretty good. Um, but I do think you could make the argument if you generate enough tissue slack and mobility in that whole knee joint structure, you're not getting the compression that comes along with all that compression and rotation, right? So I think theoretically, you could even train yourself to handle. Of valgus stress to the knee, right? I think that's possible. Yeah, I think as long as it's not uncontrolled. Controlled movement is probably the most important thing out of all this. Uncontrolled movement, the thing that you can't stop from happening, that's probably the thing that's going to lead to the most damage. So if it's valgus and you can't control it being valgus, that's probably going to lead to damage versus if you're controlling through that motion, maybe yeah. you have a little bit better shot. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I mean, I think this is what happens in sport a lot. People think that sports are just good for you. I don't necessarily think that. I think sports are awesome, but I also think if you don't know how to move right, plus you have, well, let's say like a movement conversation. So we'll call like that genuvalgus. Picture uh, a basketball player jumping, and when he lands, you know, after taking a shot, his knee, one knee kind of collapses. And you'll see this a lot with basketball players, even the NBA, even the pros do this. And, you know, this is a jumper's knee, basically. Um, so I don't know where I'm going. So basically, you just you lose your position, and that that stress of the sport and the ballistic nature, I think that can cause issue with the repetition. Moving back into the ankle mobility stuff, obviously we can talk about tissue length and those relationships. We can talk about joint positions. What do you think is like one of the better places to start if somebody's just like, you know what, I need to increase my ankle mobility. Do I go joint first? Do I the whole thing yeah usually whole thing yeah. i mean you know most of the time it's like half of the range of motion deficit is muscular or muscular tenderness 
and the other half is capsular. There could be other things too. Sometimes you'll get like neural restriction too. Not really often in the ankle, but it's possible. I mean, I have seen like a, a tarsal tunnel syndrome, which could be like a neural restriction. Uh, but most of the time, I'd say 95% of the time, it's stretch calves or soleus and work on your ankle dorsiflexion, capsular stretching. So that's what we talked about last time, putting a band around the ankle or having somebody uh, manually mobilize your talus back into the socket, basically. Yeah, and just getting specific there, you know, we talked about a little bit on the bunion conversation, but just again, what is that joint mobilization going to do for us? Why is that beneficial? So this goes back into... People have a hard time picturing it. Yeah, it's kind of hard to to describe. This is where a video would be good, but... uh, So it goes into understanding roll and glide mechanics. When you have a ball moving into a socket, and it's not necessarily a ball, it's kind of a rocky looking structure, but... For the point of this conversation, picture a ball gliding backwards into a socket as the foot comes up. So the roll goes back as the foot comes up. They go in opposites. Uh, if the back side of that capsule, that I always describe it as like a leathery sack. I, you know when you get like a brand new baseball mitt and it's like stiff and leathery? Yeah. And you got beat it in, right? That's how I see it. You take that talus, you push it backwards into the capsule and try to improve the, the sort of flexibility of the, that leathery capsule. So that when you bring your foot up into dorsiflexion, that ball can roll backwards, that talus can roll backwards into the socket. So you're not even talking about just like anterior and posterior impingement. You're just talking about literally creating motion in the in the capsule itself. Well, so that kind of goes into anterior impingement. If if the back of the capsule is stiff, that talus can't glide or roll backwards into it. It'll just ram up into your tibia and fibula. And that's one of the things that can cause anterior ankle impingement. Mm-hmm. So you're just, you're buying some room in the joint. Well, you're basically putting the joint back in place, in a sense. Right. If it's stiff in the back, it's pushing the tail slightly forward. And then, you know, with a, a, a range of motion like dorsiflexion, where 8 degrees versus 11 degrees is a big difference, you know, we're talking about small uh, differences. So if you can buy, you know, a couple degrees of motion by stretching the backside of the capsule, I mean, it's definitely worth it. Yeah. Absolutely. And then when it comes to muscular, you know, do you have any approaches that you really like? Do you do more like soft tissue mobilization? Are you going to do more like static stretching? Um, I will always do a combo. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to gonna get my hands on the patient. I just, it helps me find where there's tone. It helps give me some indicators. You know, are your peroneals involved? Is there a little more lateral gastroc versus medial gastroc? Cause you can peroneals being just the, the lateral muscles that you vert the foot basically. Um, posterior can be involved they can all be involved um, so you know the more specific you can get the more sort of specific your treatment can get so I do like to get my hands on there to get an idea where the tone might be or the restriction you could call it um, I will do a fair amount of static stretches of the calves static stretches in general are not my favorite um, I do sometimes play around with like a contract relaxed stretch of the calf but I find people have difficulty wrapping their head around how to do that so picture you're on a slant board and you lean into it so you get as much stretch as you can and then you push your foot down into the slant board just gently hold it for a few, few seconds and then relax and go deeper into it that's the idea um, sometimes people just can't really understand what i'm talking about with that yeah that's why yeah. i'll have them usually work through a full range like go onto your toes mm-hmm. and then back down into it yeah eccentrics are a great way to stretch so if you're doing a heel raise and you slowly lower your heels down as far down as you can that's eccentrics basically Another great way to stretch it. Uh, you know, generally just getting blood flow there first, then stretching it is even mm-hmm. better. So do some heel raises, then go into a stretch. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it seems like all the research says that it doesn't really matter how long you hold the stretch for in one sort of go. It matters about the total duration combined by all of the different movements you do. So let's say I do like a, an, an active mobility where I'm like driving my knee forward, mm -hmm. getting a stretch of my calf, and then backing off, driving forward, backing off. Yep. If I hold each of those for like five second increments, the total ends up being 60 seconds. That's going to be just as good as me holding one stretch for 60 seconds at a time. Yeah, I've seen a lot of varying stuff in the research. Bandy, those guys, they did a back, uh, I don't know what year it was. When I was in grad school, it was like, it's got to be at least 30 seconds to create tissue plasticity, right? That's what we learned back mm -hmm. then. I, I think it's there's more to it than that. Like, we had a conversation last time about how the body is sort of always replicating, turning over cells. And if you never expose certain ranges of motion, those cells, the input you give those cells don't express themselves right. in that way. So I think if you are constantly working on being in a deep squat, your all those cells are they're getting new input and they're new, now adapting to that posture. So, oh, okay, he wants to be flexible here, and the body will adapt over time. So I've seen some stuff in the literature. You got to spend at least ten minutes of mobilization, whatever you're trying to achieve, over a week. You know, so I usually tell my patients aim for two minutes, five times a day. Uh, I think this is a good starting off point, but I just think. Like for me, I got kids, so like a three-year-old, so I'm on the ground with her a lot. I try to get into a deep squat as much as I can, just expose my body to that full range of motion, my knees, my ankles, everything, hips. Yep. I mean, just doing a deep squat is just a great way to get <laughs> basically triple flexion, you know, and just that that's where we see is like triple flexion and triple extension are the issues. But like think about, I would say the two most common deficits are lack of ankle dorsiflexion and lack of hip extension. Yeah, couldn't could not agree more. Yeah. And they're so fundamentally important to how you walk, to how you run, to how you just move in general around the house. And they can cause so many issues if you don't have them and right. nobody does. Right. But I would totally agree with you getting good positions. Like if you go down that deep squat, one of the things we did with that mobility class, we did that like kettlebell pry squat when we tried to do it. They were a little bit not yeah, but that was awesome when that woman was like, oh, my God, my knee goes to the floor now. Yep. And it was just like two minutes or something simple. Yeah, we, we were doing a mobility class with some uh, older individuals. One woman was like sitting like crisscross. And at the beginning of the class, her knees like wouldn't touch the ground when she was sitting crisscross. And then she sat at the end and her knees were like touching the ground, which was pretty cool. And she's like, I haven't seen it do that in years. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we spent like, you know, five minutes mobilizing yeah. each joint. Yeah, this stuff's super effective. I mean, it, it is temporary, but if you constantly put that input into the system over time and it accrues and boom, now you have movement again. I definitely think a good piece of homework for every listener is just sit in a deep squat, maybe even supported, like grab, mm -hmm. you know, a, a stair rail or something. Yeah. Just sort of sit there so you get a nice, you know, neutral spine and just see how much deeper you go. The longer you sit there, you're just going to get deeper, deeper. Your knees will go up more. Your yep. feet will be flatter on the ground. You have a little more arch in your foot. Just do that for like two minutes. Just see the effect. I like to use a physio ball. I put it on the wall, right? And I'll get so I'm sort of back supported and get all the way deep into it. Keep my feet straight. I take my elbows and I drive them into my knees. So I push my knees out. So I get some hip external rotation. And it's just a really comfortable position to be in. You can sit there for 10 minutes, no problem. Especially if you got something supporting your back. It's And that's just, you're just exposing many joints to end range. Yep. And I think too, when it comes to mobility in general, a lot of it does depend what you do pre-mobility and then post-mobility. Like like we talked about getting blood flow to the joint before you go to mobilize it is gonna be very important. But then afterwards, if you're gonna go play basketball after you've stretched your calf, 
maybe not the best idea. Maybe yeah. do it after you've played basketball because now you're going to jump on it, use that muscle, tighten it all up again, and there's you're going to undo what you just did. Yeah, I think in the gym is the time to work, or at mm-hmm. home is the time to work on mobility, not prior to sport. So all this stretching before sport, you know, I don't know. I'm back and forth on this one, but I, I kind of think it's not the best idea. Um, I always use the soccer player as an analogy, right? So the ham, so, okay, uh, muscle stiffness, it's really neurologic stiffness. It's your nervous system saying, oh, don't go past this point. So it's not truly muscle stiffness. Uh, you know, there is tone, but that's really controlled by your nervous system, right? And it's there to protect you because once your, let's take your knee, goes into hyperextension, if the hamstring was completely lax and the nervous system was okay with that, then that knee is able to hyperextend, and now the last thing holding your knee together is your ACL. So picture a soccer player who's like warming up and just doing a ton of uh, hamstring stretches, right? And then they go to kick the ball. That hamstring's job is to stop extension of the knee. So now you've sort of disengaged that nervous system response to prevent hyperextension because you've just basically temporarily inhibited that signal by stretching it. And now you go to kick the ball, boom. Now the last thing holding together, ACL, and you shear the ACL, and that's why you see so many ACL tears in soccer. So, you know, there are some stretches I think, are, you know, like active stretches are fine. They're kind of self-limiting. But just grabbing a strap or bending over and touching your toes, and I think we're going to get away from all that stuff. I know the Australian ballet has stopped stretching hamstrings altogether because hamstring tears in the, in the ballet world are just rampant. You know, you just see them just go into those positions, just hold them. Yeah. And hold them and yeah. hold them and just never they just, they're just in that position for so long oh and it's so funny too because it's always the dancers that have like these super mobile hamstrings they can basically put their shin on their forehead and like oh my hamstrings are so tight like that is not a tight hamstring <laughs> they probably are feeling like tense there because the body is like trying to say hey stop doing that yeah uh, so yeah whenever I see a dancer first thing I say is like alright I understand your sport you need to get your leg up there go to active you know try to be a little more self limiting yeah. So what I mean by that is a passive stretch versus an active stretch. Passive is like you use something external to your body, like a strap or a wall, and you can put more pressure into something with something external. So you can always get more out of a passive stretch, more range of motion, which is not always good, uh, versus active. So if you're doing an active hamstring stretch, it's like put your leg in your back, put your hands behind your knee, and you kick your leg up just to point of tension, ease off of it. That's more of an active one. You're, gonna, you're going to have... Um, more range of motion gains from a passive stretch but once you get uh, more range Full of motion range. You, you just want to maintain it well you want to actually strengthen that new range so the way a therapist sees it is if you have new range of motion gained in a session that's an unstable range you're, you're, you have to map that to the brain the brain doesn't know how to, to live in that area yet so if you uh, improve your hamstring mobility well now you're going to be doing some RDLs or something to strengthen in that newly gained range of motion so you gain control and gain access to those positions. So just stretching it and gaining an extra 10 degrees in your hamstring right before a game, not so good probably because now it's just all floppy in that area. And uh, yeah, that's so, I, I almost personally, like I don't stretch before I play hockey. I'll do some active stuff. I'll like rotate my trunk with a stick behind the back. I'll, I'll warm up my adductors because adductors are really you know prone to straining in hockey. Mm-hmm. But everyone's like stretching them on the board, stretching out. I'm like, no, don't do that. But I never stretch before hockey. I'll stretch my adductors later, but not during, right, not right before the game. Speaking of strength and positions, then I want to talk about a couple more things about the ankle again. Um, there was this video of this kid. He's sitting in a split, 
um, you know, one foot out to his right side, one foot out to his left, not forward and back. And his chest is on the ground. So his legs are completely splayed out, you know, completely straight line. Mm-hmm. And his chest is on the ground. And all he does is push down to the ground with his feet and his, like, ankles pretty much. And pulls himself up to standing from that position just purely through adduction. Well, that's awesome. So that's what I'm talking about. If you can be mobile like that and be strong, and be strong there, in that position, then you're like a Cir- superpower. Then you're like a Cirque du Soleil athlete. That's, yeah. that's what they are. They're they're super mobile and super strong. In fact, Cirque du Soleil athletes get so mobile and strong, the last thing holding them back is neural tension. Mm. So, do you know a lot about neural tension? Have you no, heard? Yeah. Go for it. So, the nervous system is one giant set of cables. Basically, it's all connected. Right? It's your brain. It's your spinal cord. That's your central nervous system. That turns into all your peripheral nerves. So when if you extend your arm out, and then you turn your head the other way, because the brain attached to the spinal cord to the peripheral nerves, all the nerves literally slide towards your head. Well, you know, a few millimeters, not right, huge right. range. And if you turn your head back towards your arm, they slide back into position. Right. Um, that's what's supposed to happen. They they the nerves have to go through little tunnels in between muscles around corners like bones and like like your ankle has a. Uh, your tibial nerve runs like sort of at a right angle underneath your ankle, um, so they can sometimes get stuck in areas, and there's ways to mobilize that. So that tissue it sits in sometimes like it adheres to the, the the tube basically, and you can do like neural slides to loosen up that area. So you'll see like Cirque du Soleil athletes doing these like n- nerve glides to maximize the range of motion. Yeah. yeah, it makes perfect sense. I've definitely done a lot of neural gliding with clients in the past. Yeah. Um, you know, when I thought that was a limitation, but definitely an interesting concept. So when we talk about ankle mobility, let's just talk about some of the things that ankle mobility, if you have limited ankle mobility, can restrict so that we sort of hammer home the idea that, hey, this is important. We talked about bunions and how it, you know, when you walk, you're going to walk and then turn your foot out because you're probably losing some ability to dorsiflex with that toe off. What other things other than walking and squatting might a lot of ankle mobility restrictions limit. Uh, anything with ankle and knee bending. So lunging, um, that's probably a big one. Lateral lunging, um, like a step down, uh, like a single leg squat, uh, you know, going up and down the stairs. It depends on how restricted you are. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Those are the big ones, I would say. Yeah. I mean, definitely going down the stairs, right? If your knee can't travel forward, you can never get a flat foot on your down step. So you're always just on the ball of your foot your knee sort of just in this, because now you have a less of a platform, yeah. right? You're just on the ball, your foot walking down the stairs, you can never get it flat yeah. because your knee can't travel forward. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I would say 90% of ankle issues and knee issues really come from lack of dorsiflexion mm-hmm. in particular. Yeah, that's that's always what I go after. Where are we at for time? Because I have an anecdote that I want to throw in here and I don't know, it, I, I don't think it's a full episode, but I want to throw it in. We got time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that, the face you just made there, nobody can see it, but he was very sure of the having time. Yeah. Actually, I want to grab my phone because I want to read this. It was a, uh, oh, my phone's in my pocket. There you go. Is this something you post online? No. No, this was a tweet. Is it hate mail you're getting? <laughs> yeah, I don't have enough followers to get hate mail, which is nice. <laughs> It's just a matter of time, John. You got some strong opinions. <laughs> You're not wrong about that. Strong opinions loosely held. <laughs> Come on, you have to have some conviction. 
No, I have conviction. Like the the opinions are strong. Mm-hmm. But then once I find new data, I'm willing to change it pretty quickly. Oh well, that's good. A sign of intelligence. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, where where is it? Oh, here it is. Finally found it. I don't think I'll be able to find the uh, the tweet, the retweet. So this guy says he's a uh, he's a personal trainer to like startup founders. Um, you know, very specific niche there. But he said, unpopular fitness opinion. If you play sports on a regular basis, you shouldn't be heavy squatting or deadlifting. And then in his replies, he, he mentions a lot. Well, this is what he says again. He says, the reason is because both are taxing to the nervous system. Mind you, when I talk sport, I mean one played at a high intensity, i.e. basketball, soccer, surfing. Trying to play your best while chasing PRs will likely cause injury. So he makes a he makes a weird distinction uh-huh. by saying heavy squatting, deadlifting, uh-huh. but then he says PRs, so like a one rep max. Uh-huh. Those are different things. Like doing a five RM or an eight RM at like seventy five plus intensity, that's heavy, but that's not a one rep. They're pretty distinct. Well, yeah, this is where you look at load management over a year, right? So you know that's maybe you do your PRs off season, you know, and maybe not in, like. If it's playoffs, maybe don't go for your PRs. Taxing the nervous system, I, well, that's what you kind of want. You want to give the body stimulus, then recover, and then adapt. That's how it works. Uh, you know, I guess you can make the argument if you're playing sports, say, six days a week, and then you're also PRing and deadlift and squat, are you overtraining? I think it depends on the person. I mean, I think you can train to get to the point where you can handle that. Yeah, and how hard are your sports session training days, and how hard are your gym training days? Are they equal in intensity? Is, is your are your sports training days super high intensity? Now he makes the distinction like playing at a very high intensity, but that's also still relative for everybody. And what sport are we talking about? I mean, yeah, you know, are we swimming? <laughs> you know, swimming can be intense. Is it? Are squats going to affect? Sw- I don't know. I, I think it, as always, it totally depends on the individual. If you're new to squatting and deadlifting and you're playing professional basketball or something, okay, maybe maybe he's got a point there. But if you've been squatting your whole life, maybe you had a career as a powerlifter and then you go into some other sport and your body's already trained to handle it, I, I don't I don't know. I, I think that's super debatable. And I would make the argument one rep max in the middle of the season, nobody's going to do. But heavy squatting, deadlifting, benching, pulling, whatever the case might be, yeah, you're going to do that in season. You need to maintain strength. Yeah. If I'm not heavy squatting and deadlifting in season, I'm going to lose my strength. I'm going to lose my power, my ability to jump, my ability to run fast. So if the if the thing is okay, one rep max. Well, there's no there's no not many people doing that anyway who are at least half decently smart yeah. um, in season. And if you're an adult who's just playing sports rec- re- recreationally and then training um, also just to stay fit, your trainer's probably not having you do one reps anyway. So the tweet kind of feels like it's. He makes an interesting point, but I'm not sure who's it even applies to, and if he's even right in the first place. Yeah, I think it sounds like he was just trying to get some traction on a tweet. <laughs> yeah, and then you know this was the other piece of this that I wanted to talk about because I had this conversation last week with somebody with a physical therapist. He labeled himself a sports physical therapist, which I kind of want to talk about. So there was a, a strength conditioning coach again, kind of a, a jerk move. He quote tweets that tweet. And then says, stick to general population, my friend. And it's like, okay. I would argue that general population training is actually more challenging than sports training. 
which again is the conversation I had last week with uh-huh. this sports physical therapist. I asked him, I was like, why do you label yourself as a sports PT? He said, well, people see it as like more of a high regard, and uh-huh. I do a lot of sports physical therapy. And I was like, but is it though? Is it really more challenging? Because in my experience, training general population, way more challenging. They don't move well, they have way more restrictions, they don't listen quite as much, they're not as into it, they think it's really challenging. Athletes, they're there, and they move pretty well, and they want to be there. Um, and he was like, yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I just like sports. Yeah, I think um, I think PTs that get into ortho and get good and get confident and work with younger people might consider themselves like a sports PT, uh, especially when they, you know, they get a couple of pro athletes under their belt, and they're like, yeah, I'm a sports guy. Um, I think for me, what it really means is you know the demands of the sport, right? So, like, I see a lot of golfers, and I always tell them, you know, your back hurts because you're missing range of motion somewhere. You start off facing one direction, and you have to turn your body 90 degrees the other way with your feet planted in the ground. So, that means you need about 45 degrees from your hips, another 45 from your lumbar spine, roughly. That's just kind of a, that's how I explain it because it's nice and easy to understand. And if your back's only got 30 degrees of rotation, your hips only got 30 degrees of rotation, you only got a total of 60 of rotation. That's why it hurts. You're pushing past tissue resistance. So that's what I mean. Like, so you have to understand like the angles, like how much lean back or uh, what they call layback does a pitcher need in baseball? What's an appropriate angle? You know, I think that's what it means to be a sports-specific PT is understanding the demands of the sport. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of, you know, we just talked about status signaling kind of, I guess, an aside, but there's a lot of status signaling in the strength conditioning space where S&C guys think they're just above general population individuals. I don't think that's necessarily true. I just watched a video with Odell Beckham training with his trainer. His trainer doesn't know anything. I was watching Odell move, and it's like it'd be, it, it's so easy to get Odell to move well because he moves well, mm-hmm. but in the gym he's moving like garbage. How is that guy not fixing that? He clearly doesn't know stuff. So... I don't think being a sports guy makes you better than a general population guy. I think we all just have different skill sets, but a lot of the times training general population is more challenging. Yeah, and let's face it, life is who you know and like the right timing. And so there's trainers that are awesome that just don't get lucky and they're not in the right place at the right time. And there's trainers that maybe are so-so and they got this buddy who knows this guy and you know they just land an awesome job. So I think that's part of it as well. Yeah, definitely get political. I was watching the, that Formula One Drive to Survive show, mm-hmm. and the guy, Daniel Ricardo, hit, was it Daniel Ricardo? It was, no, it wasn't Daniel Ricardo. It was Carlos Sainz, just another F1 driver. His performance coach was like his best friend from high school. Yeah, that's, you know, that's how majority of stuff works yeah. in life. <laughs> so you know. And again, I was watching him train. Again, Carlos Sainz has amazing posture, um, fairly athletic guy. And the, the trainer just wasn't really yeah, really up to snuff. Yeah. But then again, I mean, people, I think, hire trainers for all different reasons. Some people just need motivation. Some people just need accountability. People just some, need a friend. Some people need a friend, someone to talk to. Uh, and some people actually want the actual knowledge. So, you know, that's what I see on my end as a physical therapist. You know, you, you kind of wear a lot of different hats. And some people want the technical answer, want to know every single detail. And sometimes you got to read people. Sometimes people are like, why is that my back hurt? And they just want to be like, oh, because you're just doing this wrong. They don't want the, well, this tissue is moving past this, you know. So it just totally depends. Everyone want, wants something different. I think the same thing probably exists in the personal training world. Yeah, absolutely. Fun fact, I was just thinking about this today. I was going back to, I used to be a personal trainer. My very first client, 
<laughs> I was living in Miami, was a um, ex-Turkish porn star. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, this is so Miami. <laughs> girl or guy? It was a girl. Um, knowing you, <laughs> knowing you, you'd be the only person that that's first client would be an ex-Turkish porn star. Well, it's almost like confirmed because I was already in school uh, taking classes to apply to grad school for physical therapy. And I was like, this is, I think this is what I want to do. And it kind of confirmed it because she came to me for upper back pain. She was already seeing another trainer who was like, oh, I got these awesome abs. I look good. And she saw him like, I want to look like him. And then, But she was also complaining of upper back pain, like thoracic pain. Um, she did have um, some fake things on her body that were creating <laughs> some upper back pain. What would pain. they be? <laughs> Um, they're very obvious and so all I did was just like work on her scapular muscles and you know work on some thoracic extension just some basic stuff I got right out of the textbook and in like two weeks she had no pain mm-hmm. I was like oh that's awesome I don't I'm not even a therapist yet I can already solve these things so that was like yeah this is what I want to do did she notice an, a performance improvement on the job she was an ex porn star oh, gotcha. she was retired gotcha. yeah <laughs> <laughs> Cut that part out, please. Yeah. I'm, I'm not. I'm keeping that. <laughs> no, I think we've uh, we've covered the whole gamut of what you could say. Yep, from what ankles to porn stars, <laughs> we really covered it. <laughs> yeah, we really went off topic today. We planned to go into ankle, and we got there a little bit. I think the sauna stimulates the yeah the that's creative, what it is. Yeah, the the creative juice a little bit. Yep, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think we should stop there before I say something I regret. You were close. You were close. All right, John. Until next time. Yep. Do you have unexplained pain? Or do you wonder just how healthy you are? When was the last time you had your blood tested? Blood chemistry analysis is a great way to stay ahead of any health conditions. And now you can have control of your health with Let's Get Checked. Let's Get Checked is an incredible company that sends blood tests to your home. You can choose from over 30 different tests, whether that's liver function, testosterone, micronutrients, cholesterol, or C-reactive protein, which is a marker for inflammation. It's sent to you with free shipping and you get results in two to five days, no physician referral needed. Use the code DPT20 for 20% off. Go to letsgetcheck.com and use the code DPT20. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions you want answered, find us on Instagram at modusnables or send us an email. You can fill out a contact form on our website, which is modusnaples.com. Make sure to check out our blog and our shop as well, where there are downloadable programs that we'll continue to update. This is the Move with Modus podcast. We'll see you next week.